from Schwartz Media, I'm Osman Faruqi. This is 7am. The federal government promised that by the end of March, 4 million Australians would be vaccinated against COVID-19. But as of this week, we've barely hit a quarter of that target. Now, the Prime Minister is facing growing political pressure over the slow pace of the vaccine rollout. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on how the federal government is handling this phase of the pandemic and whether Scott Morrison is doing enough to vaccinate the country. Oh, Ruby, you look very different. Oh, oh, I'm having a Red Riding Hood moment. It's you, isn't it, Oz? Behind that beard. <laughs> what are you doing here? I am I am the big bad wolf today, Paul. Well, I'm not afraid. Is that a problem? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how we go. Um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to you and I chatting for the first time. Well, we've chatted before off mic, so let's do it on mic. Let's see if I can live up to the wonderful Ruby Jones. Paul, you happy to get into it? Absolutely. Let's start with the vaccine rollout. I mean, it looks like it's going pretty badly, not just in terms of the actual rollout itself, but also in terms of how the government is being perceived. But just how badly is it going and how much of an issue has it become for the coalition government? Well, Oz, I think uh, we all now know that the vaccine program is grossly behind schedule. Three million short of the target is no near miss. And ham-fisted attempts by Scott Morrison's government to variously blame the states or the Europeans only succeeded in, well, spotlighting their own shortcomings. In fact, the handling of the COVID-19 pandemic is rapidly becoming a uh, political crisis for the federal government. It's the kind of classic reversal of fortunes you see sometimes in politics. The pandemic, you might remember, was once seen as the circuit breaker that Scott Morrison really needed after the black summer bushfires. But now it's an indictment of the Prime Minister's failure to deliver on his promises. So Morrison is supposedly this master of spin and political messaging. Does he have a strategy to change this perception? (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure he hopes he does. I think it is a good idea for us to have even more data transparency on these issues, and that's what I'll be discussing uh, with the premiers and chief ministers on Friday. Morrison saw it was time to, well, staunch the bleeding over the vaccine rollout failures. His starting point, though, was to deny the reality of it. And it is true that at this stage of our rollout, it's actually better than where Germany was. It's better than where New Zealand was. It was better than where South Korea was and Japan was. Who he thinks he's impressing by claiming Australian exceptionality in the rollout is a mystery. However you want to spin it, we are not doing very well. Today, this morning, 97% of Australians are not vaccinated, yet we're set. According to adjunct professor in health strategy at the University of New South Wales, Bill Botell, we rank 90th in the world, somewhere between Bolivia and Albania. We have problems with supply uh, because of the way in which procurement was organised uh, five and six months ago, and we clearly have problems with distribution. Well, Botel warned that the virus was mutating faster than we in Australia are vaccinating. For all the fanfare of rollout and various announcements, 
you'd have to say it was botched. There's growing anger over Australia's COVID vaccine rollout with inoculation hubs turning people away, even though they're sitting empty. GPs in Queensland have criticised the state's COVID-19 vaccine rollout, claiming they're bearing the brunt of slow supplies. Not enough vaccines were available. General practitioners who were to be in the front line of the rollout were told little or nothing. Their clinics were swamped with callers and the online website was no help at all. Scott Morrison on the offensive over the supply of the AstraZeneca vaccine from Europe. 3.1 million of the contracted vaccines did not turn up in Australia. Well, when Morrison and his ministers blamed Europe for failing to supply the contracted 3.1 million vaccines, Brussels contradicted them. There was, at that point in time, only one request which had been refused, which is a well-known uh, request to Australia, but for much, much smaller quantities. Which... It admitted to withholding 250,000 shots, but denied the 3 million figure. So, no, we certainly uh, cannot confirm any a new decision to block um, vaccine exports uh, to Australia or to any other country, for that matter. Well, the states were quick to disown responsibility for the shambles, with both the Queensland and New South Wales premiers reminding midweek news conferences that they were responsible for 30% of the rollout, while the Commonwealth was responsible for the rest. How about you, Paul? Have you had your first shot of the vaccine yet? Well, it's a very good question. Both myself and my good lady wife are in phase 1B and, um, well, there are some immunity issues, so you'd think we'd be pretty well top of the list. But when we contacted our own clinic, which is quite a big one, they said they weren't one of the ones doing the vaccinations. And when we contacted the nearest one to us, their first question was, are you regular patients, which was a bit of a worry. But they also said that they didn't know what was going on, they didn't have the vaccines, and maybe contact them in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, that's something that quite a few people have been reporting. And as you said, Paul, we're under this time pressure because of the fact that the vaccine is mutating so quickly. So has Scott Morrison started to admit that the government has made some mistakes here? Well, Morrison rightly says the problem is supply. Australia doesn't have what's needed to meet the promised targets. So three months after vaccination started in other countries and one month into our slow and fraught program, it's obvious that our government's planning last year was woefully inadequate. And a number of experts are pointing this out. Former head of the Federal Health Department is one of them, Stephen Duckett. He wrote in the Sydney Morning Herald that the politicians should invest less in hype and photo opportunities and instead focus on actually managing the rollout. Well, that's a pretty direct assessment. And, Oz, it's very hard to argue with. We'll be right back. For Sloan Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship, and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. 
I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest, Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Paul, we're talking about the incredibly slow pace of the vaccine rollout here in Australia and the associated political issues that that are going with that. You, You said that opinion is starting to shift against Morrison. Do we have any more evidence of that? Yes, and it came to a head this week when The Australian published its quarterly consolidated news poll results, the headline in the paper screamed coalition in election peril after hit in resource states. It certainly didn't make happy reading for the Prime Minister. This news poll finding is in the context of the pandemic, which has seen incumbents in Western Australia and Queensland retain power in landslides. In fact, support in WA has significantly moved away from the coalition federally, according to the news poll. But uh, nationally, on a two-party preferred basis, the coalition now lags behind Labor 49.51, whereas the last quarterly analysis had the coalition up 51.49. And we should notice there, Osman, that that basically in both those findings, it's statistically line ball anyway. Right. But that does seem like it's better news for Labor and opposition leader Anthony Albanese, or is it more complicated than that? Well, look, the other important measure is preferred Prime Minister. Morrison ends the quarter well ahead of Labor's Anthony Albanese in the approval stakes, although he's been steadily losing ground. Now, this echoes Labor's research that finds the Prime Minister's support is a kilometre wide and a millimetre deep. And it goes a long way to explain why Labor is in the tight election-winning position two-party preferred. Albanese takes great heart from the fact that the party's primary vote is consistently higher than it was at the 2019 line ball election. While some of Albanese's naysayers say Labor should be streets ahead given Morrison's travails, the opposition leader's caucus supporters say this is a blinkered discount of the pandemic factor. Now, none of this is to write off Morrison. Anything unexpected, surprising even, can and, as we know, does happen in politics. And we all know that I love surprises. So what have we got in terms of them this week, Paul? Well, a few odds, but uh, none that really helped Morrison. One that came up unexpectedly was Morrison's treatment of Christine Holgate, who he had removed as Australia Post chief executive late last year. This week... Holgate's submission to a Senate inquiry was made public. In it, she said she never agreed to resign over her gift of Cartier watches to senior executives as a bonus for securing a lucrative contract for the government-owned business. She accuses the Liberal government-appointed chair, Lucio Di Bartolomeo, of lying to the Parliament and unlawfully standing her down at the direction of the Prime Minister. And she says Morrison humiliated her in the Parliament, 
causing her the most harrowing 10 days of her career. Speaker, so appalled and shocked was I by that behaviour because, Mr Speaker, as any shareholder, as any shareholder would in a company raise their outrage if they had seen that conduct by a chief executive, a management or a board, Mr Speaker, they would insist rightly on the same thing. Now, we are the... Well, the Prime Minister attempted to brush aside the criticism saying it was up to the Senate inquiry to sort out the different versions between her and Australia Post. And he noted that Holgate had resigned. It was a pretty interesting tactic, Osman. Nothing to see here, nothing to do with me. But Labor's Michelle Rowland accuses the Prime Minister of double standards when he defended Christian Porter and argued for the sort of due process that was denied to Ms Holgate. Roland says there's one rule for Liberal mates and another for everyone else. And Morrison's problem is TV news bulletins this week re-ran the vision of him bellowing in Parliament that Holgate should stand aside pending an inquiry or go. And if the Chief Executive wishes to stand aside, well, not wishes to stand aside, she's been instructed to stand aside, and if she doesn't wish to do that, Mr Speaker, she can go. It's hardly a good look in the current heightened sensitivity to the bullying of women, particularly in the workforce, and particularly with regards to the treatment of women in politics. So it wasn't a great week for Morrison or the Liberal Party, or really, for that matter, anyone in Australia who's waiting to be vaccinated. Osman, that's it in a nutshell. I think it, well, if I can put it this way, discombobulates the nation. We're all wondering how safe we are and what the delays mean and when we'll all get vaccinated and when can life get somewhat back to normal. Paul, thanks so much for letting me fill in for Ruby today. Thank you. Have a good weekend. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today... I'm joined by the Attorney-General and the Minister for Industrial Relations, Senator Cash. The federal government has announced its response to the Sex Discrimination Commissioner's landmark Respect at Work report. Sexual harassment is unacceptable. It's not only immoral and despicable and even criminal, but particularly in the context of the Respect at Work report, it denies Australians especially women, not just their personal security, but their economic security. The report was released in March last year, but wasn't formally responded to by the government until yesterday. Now, this is why my former colleague and then Minister for Women, Kelly O'Dwyer, established the Respect at Work inquiry and asked the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, Kate Jenkins, to undertake that report. That was back in June of 2018. 
At a press conference, Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Attorney General Michaeli Cash said they would be accepting all of the report's 55 recommendations. All 55 recommendations are either agreed wholly in part or in principle, or noted where they are directed to governments or organisations other than the Australian government. And New South Wales Police have taken a formal statement from the former boyfriend of the woman who accused Federal Minister Christian Porter of rape. However, police say the investigation remains closed. Porter denies the allegations. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Ruby Schwartz, El Marsh, Atticus Basto, Michelle Macklem and Cinnamon Nippard. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is me, Osman Faruqi. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. New episodes of 7am are released every weekday morning. Follow us in your favourite podcast app to make sure you don't miss out. I'm Osman Faruqi. See you next week.